0: Welcome to the Keystone Project Podcast, a place where we discuss kingdom stories, core values, and the Great Commission. Thank you guys for allowing me to do this. Um, I I do appreciate it. I wanted to begin um, with this uh, quote by Mark Twain in a moment. He says, the more I learn about people, the more I like my dog. And, um, and I do like people, but sometimes I, I think I like my dog a little bit more. Um, it's just that sometimes people are a little bit you know hard to love. But, um, but something that I, that I really do love about dogs is how, just how happy dogs are to see you sometimes. Just how, how excited they are to see you when you come home. And I, Sometimes my dog goes nuts when she comes and sees me when I first walk in the door. And she'll run like crazy all around the, the room. Um, I wonder why people don't do that uh, when they see me, but but you know the other thing I really love about dogs is the loyalty of dogs. Uh, really, there, there's a bond I think between a dog and his or her owner that is that is tremendously deep. It's so much more, so much deeper than I think oftentimes we realize. And it reminded me of this story that I had once read um, as I was preparing this lesson, and, and I thought. It reminded me of this, this story. It was about a man named Omar Eduardo Rivera, and I, and I believe I've messed up the name terribly, but this guy was a, a blind computer technician. And I don't know how you are a blind computer technician, but this guy was. And he had this, this dog that would guide him and get him around. And one day on September 11th in 2001, Rivera was working on the 71st floor of the World Trade Center when a plane had hit the building above him. And his dog, Dorado, was under this desk, as usual, with him, right, always right by his side. And as the building evacuation began, Rivera began to smell the smoke, and he heard all of the chaos that was in the stairwell. And he, he took the Labrador's re- Retriever's leash off, and he tried to get the dog to escape, and he told him to flee, to go, because he knew he, he wouldn't be able to get out himself. But the dog ignored his master's commands and instead what he did was he escorted his master down those 70 flights of stairs and there was this this moment where in the chaos of everything with the rush of the crowd for several moments uh, dorado the dog got um, um, separated from his owner but the dog eventually found his way back to this guy and then continued to take him all the way down those flights of stairs it took him about an hour to get all the way down, which was and literally only just a few minutes before the entire building collapsed. And so I, I, I don't know why nobody else in that stairwell noticed that this guy was blind and that he needed some help getting down the stairs. I don't know. It's, it's a crazy, chaotic situation, but that dog was there, and it, it just amazed me that the dedication and loyalty that the dog had to, to his owner in the midst of such a, a crazy situation, a chaotic situation. And it reminded me of, of how, just how faithful God is. Uh, to all of us, and how how dedicated and committed he is to all of us. I I really am amazed by the love of God and how how he is always there, no matter what, he is always there. Even when we are so dismissive of him, uh, he is always there. Even when we are so undeserving of his love, he is always there to pour it out without measure time and time again. And so tonight, I, I want to share with you um, from John chapter 15, which I know Carol uh, shared last week. I want to share the next part, and this is from verses 12 through 17. It worked out really nicely that way. I don't know how that happened, but, um, but it did. And, and this is really, this lesson is about loving God by being a, a friend of God. And I think for many of us, thinking of God as a friend is a very difficult thing. It's, it's challenging. I mean, He's God, and we, we are so far from the glory and the majesty of who He is. That it's difficult to even fathom why this God would want to be our friend. And let alone how we could, what we could even offer in friendship to a God who commands angels, and who, 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 who at the mention of his very name, the powers of darkness will crumble. It's difficult. But, but you know, God is calling us into a deeper place of intimacy with him. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know him deeply. He wants us to know him personally. He wants us to know what he is doing he wants us to join him in what he is doing and so and and the other thing is we we need god (laughs) we absolutely need god in our lives it says this in in the beginning of john that all things came into being through him and in him was life and the life was the light of men and so tonight we want to learn how to be god's friend and I think there are a lot of examples that we can look at in the Bible. There's, uh, we could look at Moses, we could look at Abraham, we could even look at Lazarus as an example of a, of a good friend to Jesus. But tonight I just want to look at the words of Jesus himself. I want to look at what he says to the disciples and, how, and what he says how, and how they can be a friend to him, because I think he gives us some, some very good and specific instructions on how to do that. Um, but I think it would be inappropriate for me to, to, to do that before I introduce to you one of my, my very good friends. This is a man named uh, Dustin Stuckey. Um, I think some of you know him. He, something you may not know about Dustin is that he really likes coffee. Um, he loves coffee. Yes, he does. He, he exclusively drinks his coffee black, however. Um, he doesn't pollute it with any kind of nonsense. It's, he, uh... Now, I do have to say, this picture was taken well over 10 years ago now. Um, And so we can absolve him of drinking Starbucks coffee for that. Um, But this picture was taken uh, when we came back from a trip to Peru. We were there for about a month, and we hadn't had a single cup of coffee that entire time. And so this is that first cup of coffee that he had. Um, And of course, he hasn't changed a single bit all of these years. But I, I have to tell you that I've known Dustin for, yeah, well over 10 years. I don't even know how long. Um, and he, he has been, he's, he's my oldest friend. He has been a, a very, very good friend of mine. I, I don't know how to express my gratitude to him for his friendship, for his, his wisdom, uh, for his encouragement to me uh, all of these years. And, and honestly, I, I am the, the least, I'm one of the least qualified people to be talking about the subject of friendship because i am just a terrible friend uh but dustin is is has been such a good friend and it's because of the good friendships that i've had in people like dustin that i i am even able to speak to something like this because i know what it's like to have a good friend who is always there who's always loyal and faithful to you and so thank you guys for that and thank you dustin for being such a good friend of mine um and so one more thing before we get into our passage of scripture i want to say that in the first part of john chapter 15 is all, really all about how the disciples can relate to Jesus. That's what that's about. It's about, you know, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and, and I in you and you will bear much fruit. And so it's, it's all about how the disciples ought to relate to Jesus. The next part in verses 12 through 17 is really about how the disciples ought to relate to one another. And we're going to see that the way that the disciples relate to one another shows us how to be Christ's friend after he's gone, actually. And so let's go ahead and let's read that together. This is John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And Jesus says this. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, because all things that I have heard from my Father I have made them known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command to you, that you love one another. Okay, and so we see in this this passage, you cannot be both a slave and a friend of the Almighty God at the same time. You cannot and I think that there are three things here that separate the slave from the, from the friend um, that we see. And I think number one is that the friend obeys the commands of Christ. And we see that the, the first command that Jesus gives to his disciples is to love one another. And I, and I know that there are some people who are more lovable than others, and that some people probably don't deserve to be loved, they deserve to be judged. There are horrible people out there, unfortunately. Um, I know sorry but it's true it's true but you know the king has commanded that we do this God has commanded that we love one another it's kind of like I remember when I was a little kid um, and we would get in fights with one another me and my brothers believe it or not and my dad would have to take us aside and he'd say okay guys say you're sorry to one another We'd be like all right sorry and then, and then and then he'd go okay now give each other a hug and we, we had to give each other a hug. We hated it. We didn't want to give each other's hugs, even when we weren't fighting. But we had to do it because it was a command. The king had commanded, and so we had to obey. And so this command to love, it's non-negotiable. We have to do it. it is in, what we're going to see is, is that it is, it is absolutely paramount to living in right relationship with the Lord. And so this command is mentioned about 11 times in the New Testament. And Jesus himself is, is the one who, who commands it about three of those times. The first mention of this command we see in John chapter 13 verse 34 where Jesus says, I am giving you a new commandment to, that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, look, there's, this is a new commandment. There's a difference between this command than, uh, from, the, from the command, love your neighbor as yourself, and this command that Jesus is giving to his disciples now. The first command to love your neighbor as yourself is, is more of a general love, command to love everyone, because that's who your neighbor is, right? It's everyone. And the way that we love our neighbor is as ourselves, like Jesus said. But this command that Jesus gives to his disciples, it's a little bit different. It's, it's a, a command that's direct, directed uh, directly at his disciples to love one another. And the way that he tells his disciples to love is in the same way that Christ has loved us. And so, what does this have to do with with being a friend of God? What does loving one another have to do with being the friend of Jesus, loving Jesus? Well, it's because we're the body of Christ. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. And so by loving one another, we are loving Christ. Amen? That's why even when uh, Jesus knocks uh, Saul off his horse, uh, he he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's because he was persecuting the church, and by extension, he was persecuting Jesus himself. And so I I know that we we talk quite a bit about this and having each other's backs, We talk quite a bit about fighting for one another, and and because it's so it is so important important the unity of the body. It really, when I look at the so many different factions in the church and the the disjointedness of the church, the the division that is out there, it really does hurt my heart sometimes. Because there's guys, there's so much work to be done. There's too much work to be done to get caught up in a lot of the nonsense that's out there. I remember um, there was this uh, Indian pastor um, that came to one of the trainings that I was uh, coaching. He was telling me this the story about the these this court case that had been brought to this judge. You had these two churches who were uh, suing each other because they both thought that the way that they were doing communion was the right way, and so they brought it to this to this judge. And this judge wasn't a Christian. He was like he had no idea what to do about this, and so he started reading the Bible, and he found the passage in Paul where Paul tells the the Corinthians saying, "Hey, don't take one another to to." Uh, to court over this stuff, deal with this stuff yourself. And he brought that to them, but he said, hey, you guys need to deal with this yourself. Because that's ultimately what they had to do. But, you know, there's just, there's just so much nonsense stuff that, that I think is out there. And there's so much just, just junk. And, I'm, and not even just that interdenominational stuff. Just a lot of the stuff we, get, we, we allow to seep in and get in between one of us. It's, it's unimportant. In light of, the, of, of what God is doing, in light of what God wants to do, it, guys, we have to deal with it. We have to work it out. And so bottom line is we're, we're, we're uh, committed to love, and we have to love. And, and the way that we love, again, is just the way that Christ has loved us. And so the question is, how has Christ loved us? He has loved us by laying down his life for us. And this is the love that he is commanding his disciples to have for one another. And this is the love that, that he has demonstrated for us. It's that ultimate expression of love in the garden, the disciples didn't, they didn't know what this looked like just yet, but Jesus was going to show them, and they were going to see, and they were going to watch as he went to the cross. Guys, we need to see, we need to know what that love's, love looks like. We need to see it with our own eyes. We need to have that same, that same love for the brethren. It says in 1 John three sixteen, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters. And so God has showed us what this love looks like. He showed us how to love. And the way that we love God back is by loving our brothers and sisters and the Lord. And you know, when Christ went to the cross, he, he, did, he didn't just die for us, for the disciples. He didn't just die for those who believed in him. He did die for everyone. He died for those who mocked him and beat him. He died for those who doubted him, who rejected him. Those who denied him, it says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he died for all of us. And, And so this command, it may be directed at the disciples to love one another, but the purpose of this command is so that the whole world may see and know that Christ is the son of the living God. And that is why he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so look, this is the mark. This is that telltale sign. This is how people know if you're a disciple. It's not that you perform many miracles. It's not that you pray better than somebody else. It's not that you even know your Bible better than somebody else. It's that you love one another. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faiths, so as to remove mountains but do not have love I am nothing and if I give all my possessions to feed the, fo- the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love it profits me nothing and so if we cannot love our own brothers and sisters then our testimony to the whole world really it's rubbish it doesn't mean anything that's why it's so, so important this love that we have for one another that we would lay down our lives for one another. It is one of the most powerful witnesses to the whole world that the testimony of Jesus Christ is true. You know, I was, I was reading a, a book a while back called um, Cities of God by uh, written by a guy named Rodney Stark and it's about how uh, Christianity became a movement that conquered Rome and one of the reasons why Christianity swept across the entire Roman Empire and really brought it to its knees is because of the, uh, the, because in the midst of all of the suffering that people had undergone um, every single day. And, and the suffering is immense. It's unbelievable. Especially back then when you read uh, uh, what city life was like and the, the conditions that people were living in. Um, it, unbelievable uh, uh, amount of suffering in, that people had underwent. But in the midst of all of that, Christianity actually made people's lives less miserable because people began to love one another. People began to take the commands of Christ seriously and began to love their neighbor as themselves. They began to do unto others as you would have them do to you. And Christians began to nurse the sick. They began to, to support the widow and the orphans, and they began to take care of the elderly and the poor. And it really, it radically changed the world around them. It radically changed the world around them. Rodney Stark writes in his book, he says that Christians had essentially created a mini welfare state in an empire that had, for the most part, completely lacked any social services whatsoever. And that was the effect. That was the effect that happened when, when the church took up its call, its duty, and they loved one another, and they served the poor, and visited the orphan and widow in their distress. And you know, I have to tell you, uh, up until very recently in our history, that the church really led in that area of meeting the needs of the poor and, and helping the, the poor and, and meeting the needs of the people. But it, it wasn't until the emergence of, of industrialization and that you saw, which was very recently in our history, that you saw the church begin to hand over and take a step back and hand over a lot of those things that they were doing. Um, the, a lot of those 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 uh, programs that they were running and, and just meeting the needs of the poor, they began to hand those things over to a lot of the, the things that the government started to do. And they, um, you know, I, the, they handed over. You know, the government basically stepped in and started replacing it with a lot of these social welfare services and stuff like that. And um, and look, some good has come from that. There really has. There have been some really good laws that I think have been passed and whatnot. But. But I have to tell you that we can't rely on a lot of these outside secular uh, programs, and we cannot rely on the government to get things done. You can't, you cannot, uh, you can't say, "Hey, look, that's the government's job to you know clean up the streets or something." It, it is, it's the church's job. It is, it is our responsibility to do that to to, to meet the needs of the poor and the needy. You know, I was looking at San Francisco. I was reading about the homeless uh, crisis in San Francisco, and it's it's out of control. You know, just since twenty seventeen, we've seen about a thirty percent increase in the homeless population in San Francisco alone. And what's what's frustrating is the the city of San Francisco has about a two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollar annual budget that goes towards meeting all those homeless needs. It goes towards goes towards all the homeless services. So clearly, what they're spending all of that money on, it doesn't work. It's clearly not cutting it. But that's all they can do. They can just throw money at a problem. But they they don't have Jesus. Only Jesus can heal these people. Only Jesus can bring these people off the streets. Only he can get the job done. And look, we the church, we have a divine calling and a commission from a heavenly king to do this. They do not. And that's why they will always fail. And so we have the authority to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. And we have the authority to overthrow the powers of darkness that are enslaving people. Uh, and so I love that picture George showed uh, last week uh, with that, the crack in the pavement and the Band-Aid that went over it. Because that's all they can do. That's the best that they can do. That's their solution to all of the world's problems right now. They need the church. They need us to love them. They need us to bring them the truth of the gospel. They need Jesus Christ in their lives. You know I remember when, um, I remember when we went to India, and one of the first churches we went to in India uh, I think I went with, with my dad and, and my mom and a couple of others, and like the, it was the first church we went to. We were just in the car, and my mom just steps out of the car and she steps into this. This this pile of poop on the ground, <laughs> in India, and I have to tell you, India is a mess. It's very it's very dirty. It's very filthy. I was really blown away. Um, but I remember when we visited Shamalgum's village, boy was it, it was it was like night and day. It really was. Everything was clean. The streets were swept. The the trash was picked up, and every, it was just it was like it was. You, you, and as soon as you stepped out of his, of his village, and we did to go share the gospel with the other village next door, it really was night and day. You could feel the weight of the curse just come right back on. And, but it, was, it really was. It was like night and day uh, like that. And so, and so we, need to, we need to get out. We need to meet the needs of the people. And so okay, I think that there is a second thing that um, separates the slave from the friend, and that is that Christ has made known to his friends all things that he has heard from the Father. And so it's not enough. To simply obey the commands of Christ, we have to know God personally. We have to know who He is. It's got to You know, the, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees—they had the law, they knew the commands of God, and they followed them very devoutly and very carefully. But, um, but they didn't know Jesus, and they needed to know Jesus. The only way that we can have access to the Father is through Jesus and through the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. That's how we know what God is doing and that's how we can join God in what he is doing. And so the only way to know God is through his son Jesus Christ. The third thing I think that separates the slave from the friend is that the friend has been chosen by God. And so we have been chosen by God for a higher purpose, all of us, and that purpose is to bear fruit that would remain, that we would go and make disciples of all nations and proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into light. Remember, the disciples have just celebrated the Passover supper with Jesus in the upper room, which is the celebration of the children of Israel escaping slavery in Egypt and the creation of God's chosen people as well. And God brings his children of Israel, the children of Israel, out into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and he says this to them. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And so no longer is this God just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they had heard about in their, in these stories, really buried in their history. But this is, a, this is their God. And this God has broken off the chains of slavery. And this God has, is, has done that so that he can make them his possession among all peoples. And I think that that's what Christ wants to do in this moment with his disciples. And I think that's what God wants to do with us. It says, Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.9, that, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this is our mission. This is our mission, and this is our calling. It's to fulfill the Great Commission. It's to take Christ to a lost and dark world. And it's to set them free from the sin and darkness that overwhelms their lives. We have a mission and calling. We are the ones who have been chosen to do that. And so let us embrace one another and let us embrace this higher purpose that Christ has commissioned us and let us fulfill it together. Look, this is what it means to be a friend. It's not complicated. It really isn't. It's not hard. You have to know him. You have to love one another and we have to get on the mission. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. If you want to know more about the Keystone Project and how you can support our ministry or launch disciple-making movements in the nations, go to keystoneproject.org or find us on all the major social media platforms.